Dr. Lisa Fox is a third-generation veterinarian from Northern Ohio. She earned her bachelor's degree in biology from Ohio University, followed by a DVM from Ohio State University in 2009. She was first introduced to acupuncture by a clinician while she was a veterinary student. After graduation, she returned to the family practice where she stayed for nine years. She was certified in acupuncture by IVIS in 2014, earned a graduate diploma from CIVT in Western Herbal Medicine in 2016, and was certified in food therapy by Chi University that same year. She was also certified by Chi University as an equine rehabilitation and performance medicine practitioner and is currently enrolled in their equine veterinary medical manipulation program. She has a master's degree in iridology and training in grief counseling and suicide awareness. Her current practice activities include a mobile holistic practice and locum work in two traditional small animal clinics. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Lisa Fox as we discuss growing up in her family's veterinary practice, her education, working in traditional practice and equine racetrack regulatory medicine, and her immersion into holistic medicine. A note to listeners, in this episode, we discuss issues of mental health as well as suicidal awareness and prevention. A note to listeners, in this episode, we discuss issues of mental health as well as suicide awareness and prevention. Dr. Fox, thanks for taking time tonight to talk. No problem. Hey, um, you're my first third generation veterinarian. What was it like growing up in the in a vet practice? Uh, it was a little different. Um, you know, my grandfather started the practice in 51 and my father started the practice, uh, started at the practice in 76 when he graduated and I started in 2009. Um, so, uh, my family's vet practice is actually sitting on my grandfather's farm. So I've always been around it. Um, been in there since I was a little kid, looking at microscopes, uh, helping out with animals, being called into emergency C-sections at seven years old, you know, to help out. Um, so it was interesting. Uh, so both uh, dad and grandfather went to OSU? Correct. Yes. Yep. They so, were both OSU graduates. There was probably some great photos from their school time. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's some good photos. And, uh, unfortunately my dad, um, he had a little bit of a ADHD growing up. So, uh, some of the teachers uh, had some pro- trouble with him, but um, uh, so they were a little worried when I came through, but uh, everything went well. So that must have been a little weird huh? having uh, been exposed to maybe some of the same uh, teachers that your dad had. Yeah, actually, um, one of my interviewers, Dr. Bednarski, uh, had my dad uh, as a, uh, I think he was a, <sighs> had just started out and he had my dad in class. So it was interesting. Oh, I bet. So was there ever, was that something that medicine was something you wanted to do from the start or did you have any doubts about what you were going to do? Uh, no, I didn't have any doubts. Um, my family, my mom and my dad did try to talk me out of it because they knew, uh, what I was getting into. Uh, but I just kept pushing forward with it. So it's pretty much what I always wanted to do. And was it a mixed practice then when your grandfather started it? Yes, it was 70% um, uh, large animal and 30% small animal. And then when my dad got there, we were about 50-50. And by the time I got there, we were 100% small animal. So you're the closest person I've ever talked, interviewed. And so you're about an hour, 
west of me, northwest of me. What what was the largemouth Correct. practice like? Uh, there's a lot a lack of large animal vets in the area. Uh, we don't have a lot. Um, they do have to travel from other parts of Ohio to come here. Uh, I just do holistic large animal medicine now, so I don't do emergencies or conventional med at that, this point. So. And you went to OU for undergrad? Yes, Ohio University for undergrad. So I am a bobcat with a buckeye shell. <laughs> so why did you pick OU for undergrad? Um, there's a lot of different reasons. One is actually uh, kind of a mental health reason. Uh, one of my father's colleagues was not the greatest mentor, I guess you would say, for me. Um, I don't know if he was a little jealous of me or what was going on, but when I was about 12 or 13, he cornered me um, at a vet hospital get-together and told me that the only way I was going to make it into Ohio State was on my dad's coattails. So being the person that I am, I said, watch this. And I decided to go to Ohio University to get my undergrad um, ended up getting my Bachelor of Science uh, in Biology in three years instead of four, and then went on to do the top 10% of my class at o Ohio University or Ohio State University for vet school. So, and I was OSU, like, was the, no. OSU was your only, uh, only choice. You wanted to go there and nowhere else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was no what other was, choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, what was, it, what was your undergrad like? Did you enjoy it down there? I love Ohio University. I go back any chance that I can get. Um, it was amazing. Great teachers, great uh, classes. Uh, the environment down there is just amazing. So, were you? Uh, did you have a? I know you didn't have, probably have a holistic bent then, but were you? Did you enjoy the the opportunity for nature? Oh yeah. Um, in a lot of my biology classes, we ended up doing. Uh, uh, different reports on nature. We'd have to go to different places. I actually took my horse down there. So I did horseback riding classes for my, um, I guess my PE credit. And, uh, it, so it was pretty interesting in the different, um, the fact that you're right on the river, there's a lot of different cliffs and a lot of different things that you can explore. So. So you got into OSU after three years, got your bachelor's. What was yep. uh, vet school like for you? Uh, I found it really interesting. Um, I'm a real homebody though. So I came home every weekend, uh, even though I lived down there. Um, I, I, I liked it. I liked that it was not exactly on campus right now. It's getting a little bit too crowded for my likes, but, um, I understand that it needs growth. So, uh, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoy classes. I enjoy learning. Um, anatomy lab was one of my favorites. So did you get exposed to holistic medicine at all when you were a student? Yes, actually. That was uh, one of my doctors in general practice was doing the acupuncture course through IVIS at the time that I was going through vet school. And up until that point, I kind of, you know, being raised in veterinary medicine conventionally, I thought it was a lot of hoopla um, or a lot of voodoo. And uh, she showed me acupuncture on a client's dog. Uh, during my general practice. And I ended up following her around like a little lost puppy dog. And um, 
so my first thing out of vet school a couple years later was I got into the IVIS acupuncture and it just snowballed from there. So was that Dr. Flores? Yes, it was. Yeah. So how did it do? What was the environment like for her to, to do acupuncture? Would, would she get encouragement from, from everyone else or was it just, how did that, how did that work? It, there wasn't a lot of encouragement, unfortunately, and that's kind of what I want to change at Ohio State. And I've been putting in my application multiple times, trying to get a holistic class down there because there's a lot of interest in it. But Dr. Flores, uh, the reason that I started seeing her too was uh, before I got into general practice rotation, she had come out, um, there was a cow that was down and she did acupuncture on the cow. Um, but the client had to really ask for it and really push for something else other than conventional. Cause obviously the conventional wasn't working at that point. And if that client hadn't have pushed, um, our professors, I don't think I would have been exposed to that. And so it was really based on that client's knowledge of, you know, something else, something holistic, something alternative that really got me into it. Gotcha. So you, you graduated and went back, joined the family practice. And how long were you yep. in the practice then until you went to Ivis? Uh, I was in the practice. I think I did Ivis in 2013, 14. So I was there probably about three, three to four years before I did that. And the only reason that it took me that long is um, my mother-in-law at the time was stationed in San Antonio. And so I waited for the time to come around where the class was in San Antonio so I could take my son and my mom and go visit her while we were there. So, Do you feel like having uh, having that time of, with extra practice experience was helpful, though, before you took the acupuncture course? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, although I think the more that I practiced conventional medicine, the more questions I had that I couldn't answer that I started being able to answer after my holistic journey started. So your father uh, was supportive of you bringing that back to the practice and using it? Oh yeah. He was really supportive. Um, my dad was always one of those guys that um, he was kind of always him and my grandfather were always kind of ahead of the game. Um, my grandfather, the way he built the practice was kind of ahead of the other practices at the time. Uh, he kind of knew the, the old school way, but he wanted to integrate a lot of the modern technologies. My father was the same way, but, um, he was really interested in, you know, herbals and all the other things that I got into later on. So. Oh, that's really cool. How many other doctors were in the practice when you joined it? Uh, we had, uh, at the time that I joined it, it was my father, myself, and two colleagues. And um, the two colleagues were part owners at that time. And were, and were they supportive of the holistic medicine or was that something you, you and your dad share? Um, they, were, they were supportive of it. They didn't get it as much as my dad did, but they were pretty supportive of it. So Good. And then uh, next was uh, CIVT, yeah? For your herbal course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did CIVT. And I did, at the same time I was doing CIVT, I did my Chinese veterinary food therapy course through Qi. Did you do that online or did you go down there? I did that online. That's, so. that's pretty convenient, yeah? Yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> and then um, what came next? Oh, let's see. I did a uh, certified veterinary aromatherapist through VMM, VMAA. Uh, I did Dr. Pitt Karen's course through for uh, uh, homeopathy. I did not get certified through there, but I did take the whole entire class. The certification just didn't go well for me. Um, just based on case studies, it, it was something, case studies that needed to not have had uh, any um, conventional medicine. And in this area, that's really hard to find. Um, the, let's see, what else did I do? <laughs> I don't even remember anywhere. I did um, a master's degree in iridology online through uh, Trinity School of Natural Health. So that's in humans, uh, my iridology. So. What got you interested in that? Um, well, I have a friend, my, my son did gym, gymnastics for a long time. And one of the grandmothers in gym, uh, his gymnastics class, uh, was a naturopathic doctor and she got her naturopathic degree through, uh, Trinity as well. And so she pointed me in that direction. And at the time I didn't have the time necessary to take all of the naturopathic doctor courses, but the iridology master's degree was all online. And so I was able to take that and not have to travel back and forth to Indiana. Uh, so that's kind of what got me interested in that. And um, it was really interesting. Uh, my thesis I did on my dad. Uh, so you had to take a picture of somebody's eye and read it and, you know, write the thesis, your, your, um, your final on it. And uh, I actually, unfortunately, uh, found in one of his eyes the marker for cancer um, in the esophageal region. And I knew that he had Barrett syndrome. And so I figured, okay, well, I'm going to put it in that it can be cancerous. It's, you know, but it could just be a lot of inflammation. And about six months later, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. So, oh my gosh. Did, did and he knew that you had found this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had talked about it. So he had actually gone in, he gets a, he had gotten a, a scope every few years for his Barrett syndrome anyway. Um, so he was due for a scope. So. Wow. That's really impressive. Yeah. It, and it just got me really interested in it even more. So that's something that I like teaching people about. Sure. So, and how did the aromatherapy go? Did you enjoy the course and, and were you able to integrate it into your practice pretty easily? Oh yeah, that that course is is really great. Um, Dr. Nancy Brandt talked that one. Um, I'm I love Dr. Carol Falk. I listen to her all the time uh, with her uh, things, and then Dr. Melissa Shelton. Um, I kind of take a little bit from all of them. Uh, the course was amazing. I, I definitely love learning all the scientific facts behind the essential oils and how they work, um, along with the fact that you can put in your own uh, your own thoughts and feelings into them and kind of integrate that into your medicine as well. So I actually treat, um, I have minor high blood pressure and white coat syndrome. So I actually treat that with essential oils. So you make your own blends. Yep. Yeah. Who do you source your oils from? Uh, really for me, as long as they're medical grade, I'm okay with that. Uh, so I love Dr. Melissa Shelton's, uh, Animalio. Uh, I get a lot from them. Um, Young Living, doTERRA, those are some pretty big ones that I use as well. So, so when you're, when you're prescribing those, like 
Are you always making a custom blend or do you use some of the pre-mades? I, uh, when I prescribe them, I use a lot of the pre-mades, uh, just because I don't trust owners a lot, um, making their own blends and Dr. Melissa Shelton, I mean, she does it for you. So, uh, it's easier to get it that way, especially with some of the oils that are more expensive and, uh, need to be sourced appropriately. So I do use a lot of her blends. Uh, if I have a client that happens to be a salesperson for Young Living or doTERRA, we do talk about making blends. So, um, I use some of uh, Dr. Shelton's oils as well, and I do find the blends really, it's it's very nice and convenient, and, and I trust her sourcing. Yes. Yeah, I do too. So you left the practice in uh, 2018, yeah? Correct. Yes. <clears throat> And what happened then? What'd, what'd you do? Um, well, in 2018, uh, my dad had already retired and um, we knew that he had esophageal cancer. And so he was going through chemo and radiation and all of that. And um, he had had a major accident in 2015. So he was already, that's when he kind of retired. He fell out of my hayloft um, and had some major injuries. But um, in 2018, uh, a job opened up at the track the Northfield racetrack and he had been filling in for the track veterinarian there and they wanted him to come on full time because she had left her position and with his chemo and everything, he couldn't do it. And so it was an opportunity for me to work nights, still be able to see my son and get my holistic mobile started. Uh, so it kind of worked out. It was a win-win situation where I could still pay the bills, see my son and start working on my holistic medicine. That's kind of nice. Um, yeah. T tell me about what you did at the racetrack. Uh, so for two years, I was the track veterinarian. Um, not a very amazing job. Unfortunately, I got a lot, got to know a lot of great people, a lot of great horses, but mainly you're there to scratch horses, um, take them out of the race if they're lame, uh, and euthanize horses. If there's a problem on the track, uh, you know, treat emergency situations, things like that. And then two years after that. So I was at the track for a total of four years. I was the state veterinarian. So I just moved buildings. And the state veterinarian, I did uh, blood draws on all the winning horses out of the races uh, to test for drugs and uh, illegal substances. Did you uh, find that your lameness detection skills had to get ramped up? When you yeah, took the yeah. <laughs> I really had to work on those, um, especially with pacers. It's not easy figuring out a lame horse versus a horse that just has poor confirmation. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, and you started your holistic practice. Tell me about that. Correct. Yeah. Um, I actually bought an RV and I had it kind of revamped so that the bed in the back per se is now a acupuncture kind of table. Uh, so I can sit next to my patients and they can lay on, um, I've got those soft, cushy dog beds. Uh, so I can do cats, I can do dogs. I traveled around for a while. Um, currently right now it's just parked at different locations on my farm, depending on the weather and people come to see me, uh, with the gas prices, the way they are. Sure. Yeah. So, so how long of a, of a unit is it? It's a 30, 31 foot unit and it's, a like a class C. So you drive it. So. Oh my gosh. That's, that's long. Yeah. 
And yeah, so but what it has like the, a waiting room. <laughs> so it's pretty neat. Well, well tell me how, what kind of renovations did you make inside? Um, really the only renovation I made is they cut down the bed. Um, so it's not the full bed and I just put carpet over it and then we have my dog beds on top of it. So there's plenty of room for the owners to sit on one side of the bed and me to sit on the other. And then if cats want to hide or do anything, there's blankets, pillows, they can hide underneath those and I can still get up there and do the, their acupuncture and laser. Um, I have it fit with, a. Um, a diffuser. So I diffuse for aromatherapy and I have all of my needles and everything in there. Most of my farm animals, obviously I just work out of my truck. Um, so I have my laser and all my needles in my truck. So when you're seeing small animal patients in the, in the motor home, um, you said, do you have a waiting area? So do you have more than one patient in there at a time? I usually don't. Um, the way I do it is, uh, it's nice where I can sit with the owners, talk to them, let the animal kind of wander. Um, they don't know that they're at a vet, so it's great. Um, so I let them, you know, do their own thing and we sit on the couch or at the table and talk about, you know, what's going on with the animal, especially if it's a, a brand new patient of mine, I get all the information taken down and then we'll move to the back if the patient feels comfortable enough and do acupuncture, laser, uh, Reiki, aromatherapy, anything that I think that they may need. So the waiting area is more talking about diet, talking about getting them off of kibble, that, that kind of a thing. Sure. So before, uh, before gas prices really went up, what was your schedule like as far as driving around different places? How did that work? I actually went to uh, Bueller's and I went to their head of service and I actually did a PowerPoint presentation for them on how my clinic would bring more people into their, their establishments if they let me park in the parking lot. And so three days a week, I was parking at different parking lots in Ashland, Worcester, and um, Medina at different Bueller's. We should, we should point out though that's a grocery chain. Yep. Yeah. It's a grocery chain. Yeah. So, um, how would, how'd your scheduling work? Uh, it was just three days a week. I would go there and, um, based on where my clients were located, I would put them in different time slots for that particular area. Um, and then I would also be open to walk-ins if they were there. So, so folks are just, did you have an assistant or was it just you? Just me. Yep. Usually my appointments, um, I charge per hour just because it's easier. I don't want to leave something out because of pricing. Um, if the dog really needs it, I don't want the owner to have to say, okay, we can't do that because of the price. And so, um, usually my appointments are less than an hour to an hour, depending on how involved the case is. So, so you're charging for your time and then you're doing whatever therapies you feel are going to be best for the patient. Correct. Yeah. And if I do, I do do house visits as well. Um, I do add on a travel fee, especially with the gas prices now. Um, but even then I, I added on a travel fee, but say it's a barn, um, that travel fee could be split between all of my patients. So how about, uh, essential oils? And if you're using any herbal medicine, are you bringing those along for people? Are you mailing, mailing them later? How's that work? I actually, uh, with all of my herbals, I used to keep them on hand um, when I was working at the conventional practice at my family practice, but it became a big deal when I was working by myself um, and I wanted access to 
the whole gamut of of herbals. And so what I did is I actually drop ship them now um, because it it's a lot easier for me. I don't have to say, okay, well, I have this herb, it will work. Um, I can say, you know, whatever herb that I feel that I need for this patient, we were we will drop ship that. Um, the essential oils, usually I have them order through Animalio or wherever um, on their own, um, but I do carry some of those. So you're keeping your inventory prices pretty low. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So now that uh, now that you've got the rig parked at home, uh, how many days a week are people coming up to see you? <laughs> Seven right now. <laughs> yeah, I um, I do at least probably two to three appointments every day of the week. Um, I had two this morning. I have three tomorrow morning. Uh, and then I work part-time at a conventional clinic on Tuesday and Thursday nights in Brooklyn. And I work part-time helping out a clinic near my old family clinic on Mondays and Fridays. So yeah. <laughs> well, we should point out that's Brooklyn, Ohio, not Brooklyn, New York. Yep. Right. Brooklyn, Ohio. Yep. <laughs> and, and I should, I, I need to ask because, you know, you're saying that you were in uh, Worcester and Ashland. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a trip for folks that are coming up to see you now. Yeah, it's about a 45 minute trip. Um, I do have clients that are about an hour out uh, that do come to see me because they don't want to pay the travel fee, which is great. But um, we just, I kind of work it around their schedule. So, you know, if they get off at four o'clock, you know, I'll make a 5 p.m. appointment for them as long as I don't have something else going on, like my son's soccer game or something. So. And do you, do you have large animals that haul into your, to your farm? I do not at this point. Um, my barn is not equipped for that. So I do farm calls for all of my large animal. Um, if they're over an hour away, I do add a little bit onto the travel fee, but um, I will see clients all over Northern Ohio. So, Gotcha. And so did the, the small animal relief work you're doing, is that, uh, did that take the place of the racetrack? Did you stop doing the racetrack work? Yeah, I stopped doing the racetrack in August. Uh, of this year, um, I helped them find another vet that took over for me. And um, I, my son was starting football at that time, so I wanted to be home nights to be able to see his games. So worked out. So you have a little more reliable schedule, and you're not tied up in the evening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your work in mental health. Okay. I know you went through the QPR training. Yep. I did QPR. I've done, um, the assist program. Uh, there's a couple other ones in there that I've done as well. Um, I did start for about a year and a half. I started a, um, save, which is, uh, uh, it's, it's voices of education, um, for against suicide, uh, or suicide awareness, voices of education. And I had a, uh, group up here with that. It didn't take off as well as I liked. So, um, that did go by the wayside, but I did learn a lot, um, during those courses. So can, can you explain uh, what QPR is, is involved uh, with? QPR that? is a gatekeeper. Um, it's more of a, it is a suicide awareness class. Um, so you learn what to do, uh, if someone tells you that they're thinking about committing suicide, things to look out for if people are, uh, if you think someone may be thinking of um, suicide uh, or suicidal ideologies. Um, and we tried, I guess, I, I still fall back on the commit suicide uh, 
speech, but we really try not to say commit suicide. We say died by suicide. Um, it just, it commit suicide sounds like they're, they're doing something completely wrong. And in that instance, that is not something that is wrong to them. That's, that's what they're thinking is going to solve things. So we tend not to say that, but, um, it's just out there so much, uh, but assist training is the same kind of as QPR, except it's a little bit more in depth. Um, it's more of a weekend class. So you're in the class for, I think, three days, eight hours each day uh, with a groups, groups of people. It's in person. It's not online. QPR training is online. And you role play. You talk a lot about um, your own suicidal ideologies uh, and you learn different safety mechanisms and where to reach for help uh, when when you need to find it. The QPR training, I took that online and it, it is a quite a nice course. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Um, I, I like that for people who don't, who want to really get into it, but don't have a lot of time. Um, the assist training does take a lot more time up, um, but it is a little bit more in depth, but both of them are great courses. So. What got you interested in doing this? Um, personally, uh, mental uh, health issues run in my family, um, depression along my mom's side uh, a lot. Uh, so I kind of fell into it uh, with depression and anxiety at a young age. Um, I used to have panic attacks. I used to have anxiety attacks. I still have anxiety attacks. Uh, and uh, during vet school and after vet school and during my divorce, uh, there was a lot of times where I would. Um, have some suicidal ideologies, uh, you know, stare at a bottle of uh, pills and think, you know, it, the life will be better without me here. Um, so I did go through a lot of that uh, throughout my schooling. And I knew that in the veterinary field, we are the highest um, out of all the professions at this point uh, for the highest rating of suicide. And I needed to do something to stop that and to help myself with it. So. When you were a veterinary student, was there much, was there any mental health support for students? There was a little bit, um, not as much as there is now, which is great. Ohio State University is really big into that, um, which I, I love. And uh, Dr. Rustin Moore, Dean Moore, is really getting people involved and they have a lot more uh, people to reach out to in the vet school now, which is great. Uh, when I was there, um, we did have uh, like a social worker. Um, we did have a few people to talk to. I was a member of the um, pet loss hotline, which we talked to other people about their losses and grief. And it kind of helped us uh, with ourselves as well. Um, but really, it, it wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the pet loss hotline. What sort of training did they um, did they give you guys? Uh, for the pet loss hotline, we did classes a couple times a week and, uh, we did role playing. Um, we were given different, uh, not scripts to use, but at least things to help us out in case of different emergencies. Um, we were given pamphlets that we could send out to owners or send out to clinics about the different, uh, grief hotlines, um, just we're just pretty much manning the phone system and there to talk to people in their time of need. Were you guys, you're all students. Yeah. Yes. And were you, what sort of uh, time frame was it just in the evenings or what, 
what sort of commitment did it take from you? Uh, yeah, without the, after the classes, we would take time in the evenings or on weekends. Um, usually I think it was like four hour shifts or something like that. Um, and we do that for a while. Uh, I think the pet loss hotline kind of went by the wayside my junior and senior year. Um, but I think they've got it back up and running now. Uh, there's, I know there's grief hotlines as well, but, um, yeah, it was like four hour shifts. Was that something that was only on the phone or did you guys do any in-person counseling with clients? That was only on the phone. However, during vet school, apparently, I don't know if it was because I'm a third generation vet or because I was doing the pet loss hotline. I ended up having to help a lot of clients through euthanasias. Um, <laughs> doctors would pull me off of other, uh, other wards to go help them talk about euthanasias to animal, to owners. Um, so I kind of got to be known a little bit as Dr. Death and, uh, definitely didn't like that at that time. But, um, uh, it, it was probably just because that being a third generation vet, I had been through so many euthanasias before that I just kind of knew how to talk to people about it. And so we did at one point, um, myself and one of the uh, social workers there, we did some videos um, role-playing uh, some euthanasias as well for the younger classes. Um, and then I, I did write a poem at one point. We used to do paw prints, and I think they're still using the poem that I wrote to go with the paw prints. So. Oh, that's really nice. And I'm sure yeah. that training has uh, carried forward into your practice life then too, yeah? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, you're also involved with the AHVMA. You're on the conference yes, I uh, am. Plan planning committee. So talk about that for a sec. Uh, that's really interesting. I love, um, it's, it's really funny because a lot of the speakers that I think of when I go to the AHVMA uh, are kind of, I don't know, I almost put them in the class of like, oh, they're, they're so much better than I am. <laughs> Um, they're, they're kind of like gods in the, uh, holistic field. And, uh, the, when I was on the conference, when I'm on the conference programming committee and we talk about them, it just makes them more personable. Um, it's really interesting that I kind of can feel a little bit closer to them. Uh, and we get to pick such amazing people each year to talk that it's, it's kind of hard when we can't pick someone, you know, some year. And we've just learned some amazing things about, uh, you know, just reading through the, uh, the, um, different, uh, call for papers and, uh, talking to a lot of the different, uh, people on my committee. It's just, it's a great learning experience. Kind of keeps you on the forefront of what's, uh, new in holistic medicine, right? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, you know, we try each year to figure out what people want to learn about and not try to have too heavy in one subject or the other. And um, it can get really difficult, but it's it's really rewarding. When did you get involved with the HMAMA? Was it in school or was it later? It was later. Uh, I really didn't get into like complete holistic medicine until I hit Avis. And that, like I said, just snowballed. Um, so I didn't start going to the HVMA until I want to say 2015 or 16 was my first year there. 
Um, and that's when I decided to get involved. So, and I know you're, you're doing the medical manipulation now down at Chi university. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm doing medical manipulation now. Um, I'll take my final for that in June. That's equine, um, medical manipulation. And then in, let's see, September, I'm doing a course through Purple Moon with Dr. Lori Doman, and I'm doing a Western herbal uh, apprenticeship with her. So, Oh, that's wonderful. So th- talking about the manipulation course for a minute, are, isn't that something you wished you would have done before you worked at the racetrack? It kind of is. Um, I actually this year finished the rehab course for them, the performance horse medicine and rehab. And I wish I would have taken that way before the track. That was very helpful. Uh, but once I finished that, I have a lot of owners who are like, Hey, that's great that you do acupuncture. Do you know someone who does manipulation? And I'm like, no, but my acupuncture is great and it does all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, but we want someone who does manipulation. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I will take the manipulation class. And, um, the doctors down there that we're learning from are just great. Uh, they're always there for you. Um, and I'm learning a lot more about lameness exams and, uh, different anatomy that I've completely forgotten since vet school. And, uh, it's just a great learning experience working with the horses down there. Uh, I can imagine. I just think that, you know, acupuncture and the training is great, but manipulation, especially in large animals, you know, it just really gets you back in tune with what you should be doing during a lameness exam and, and how to really uh, suss things out. Right. Yeah, it does. So I've already done my mom's two horses. Uh, I did my horse the other day. So, yep. And I'm, I'm currently working on a, uh, 30, is she 34 this year? A 34 year old Morgan. Uh, that's been one of my good clients for the past three or four years. And, uh, we do acupuncture and now I've started doing manipulations on her and she's doing great. So. Oh, that's really wonderful. Well, Lisa, I think this is a good place to stop. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time and it's been great chatting and I look forward to seeing you in person again at another conference soon. Yeah, definitely. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.